Okay, Russia has deployed a credible military force around Ukraine and accompanied that with an escalating, very official, and some would say very ambitious list of demands that are very clear concerning both Ukraine and the European security situation. Mike, tell us, what do you think is going on here? I mean, it looks like the Russian military over the course of the year has been positioning forces and engaging military activity that clearly suggests they're preparing for a large-scale military contingency with Ukraine. This is the real deal. There have been a lot of sort of false uh, uh, scares of a Russian offensive in, in recent years, but this is quite different. They have a sizable amount of forces building up. They look like they've invested in reserves. They're looking like they're engaging in a lot of behavior that suggests they're concealing the potential timing of the operation, disposition of forces, and they're engaged in heavy political messaging as they're making demands, stating red lines, and, and it's consistent with the military activity. Now, a lot of people, I think if you could look at the crux of the debate surrounding these dramatic events, a lot of it concerns whether Russia could actually use military force as opposed to simply demonstrating and make substantial progress towards the objectives that it's announced regarding uh, Ukraine and its overall position with respect to European security structures. So tell us why you think that Russia can rationally expect, supposing that its maximal demands are not met, that Russia can rationally expect the benefits of a actual use of force to exceed its expected costs. Sure. Well, use of force, of course, always fraught with costs and risks, but Russia has consistently used military power in pursuit of political aims, right? If we even look at just the last 20, 30 years, and it's done so fairly successfully in a number of cases, including, at least, at least from their point of view, they thought early on in Ukraine in 2014 and 2015. You now, the first engagement got them Minsk 1, the second uh, sort of winter offensive in 2015 got them the Minsk 2 agreement. Policy essentially ended up in the ditch, meant to end, then proved to be a political dead end, and they appear deeply frustrated with Ukraine's uh, growing ensconcement in uh, U.S. and sort of NATO security orbit, right? So I think the calculus here is really one of loss aversion, that is, leaders generally don't use force because they just think it's the best option. They talk themselves into it because they think they're forced to it. They think that use of force might be inevitable, and it's less costly and less risky to use force now then at some later date, right? And I think from, from the Russian point of view, they feel that they could use military power uh, sort of in a concise manner to destroy uh, Ukraine's military potential, impose a political settlement, some sort of Minsk 3 that will be implemented unlike Minsk 2. It will not be sort of a piecemeal use of force, but something on a much larger scale. But it is also fundamentally about the you know, security architecture of Europe, the kind of post-Cold War settlement that Russia seeks to revise. And I think from their point of view, look, use of force in all knowledge is imperfect, but the Russia-Georgia war in 08 is a good case. In that example, essentially got them much of what they wanted, right? It got a pause to NATO enlargement. It pushed forward a reset policy. And I think they might expect that such a dramatic escalation could lead to even some new condominium in Europe or some new arrangement with Europeans. But quickly, Mike, I mean, uh, 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 Ukrainian authorities uh, up and down the hierarchy have stated that, you know, they all impose serious costs on Russia. They've talked about continuing kind of the fight in, in asymmetric ways. Uh, there is a lot of reporting over uh, casualty aversion within Russia. 
and uh, the Western G7 and others have announced uh, the intention to impose really crippling novel economic costs on Russia. So how could it play out uh, favorably towards Russia's overall security interests in Europe if, uh, if any of those assumptions or any of those expectations pan out? Sure. So first, I, on, on the military costs, you know what? I'm actually quite skeptical. The correlation of forces so much in Russia's favor that uh, I suspect that they assume this will not be a very long or dramatic campaign. And in 2014, 2015, they, they were able to achieve their aims with a modicum of use of force. Uh, second, I'm, I'm also skeptical about uh, the sort of prolonged occupation. I don't think that's the Russian name. I think the Russian name is to impose a political settlement may require controlling territory for some time, but they're not seeking territorial aggrandizement. So this is a common mistake. Third, these sort of asymmetric ways of warfare and insurgencies, well, that actually never materialized in Crimea or in the eastern half of Donbass that Russia sees. So yeah. that's a lot of assumptions people are making about the potential outcome. I don't think Russians necessarily see it that way. So the military cost is, I don't think, the main thing that they're thinking about. I think they're concerned about the economic costs and the political costs. But those are implicitly priced in. They know what we can do. They're not sure we'll have the resolve to do it. So this is mostly a cost calculus conversation. Um, you know, it's hard for me to answer that, though. I, it's a question of what you value and what you value most. I think the challenge is that since 2014, Russia has proven resilient and has been able to adapt to all the sanctions that have been thrown at them. Yes, the United States says that this time is different, but the Russians may well walk away and say, you know what? I've been able to survive everything they said they were going to throw to me. In fact, Russian economy from a macroeconomic perspective is in some ways much more stable than it was even in 2014. Okay. Well, those are some serious implications for thinking about the potential response. This is Bill Wolforth. I'm from Dartmouth College. I've been talking with Mike Kaufman, senior Russia analyst at the Center for Naval Analysis. Thanks so much, Mike. Great time, you, Bill.